Open God's Word to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, I'm thinking verse 8. Chapter 1, sorry. Chapter 1, verse 8. I didn't ask you how your week went. Anybody have a lousy week this week? Anybody have an outstanding, stupendous, wonderfully, ridiculously good week? Amen. All right. Good. We should have those every week. They're funner, aren't they? Last week we began our, our journey through Acts. We're going to be there for a while, so, you know, fasten your seatbelts, hang in there. Um, I'm going to read the first five verses and just do a quick review of last week, then we'll read 6 through 11 and, and get into this week's message. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. We remember he wrote Luke, Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts, and his first account was the book of Luke about Christ, and we know the book of Acts is going to be about more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know that Luke was a physician, so he was was very practical in, in, in his thinking. He liked things to be orderly and sorted them out. He was an investigator. And that shows in verse 3 there where it talks about many convincing proofs. There was a a well-known British lawyer in the 1920s and 30s. And I haven't found anything that said he was an atheist, but he thought the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a joke. He said, there's no way that's possible. That can't happen. People don't come back from the dead. So he began his investigation, of course, using God's Word and and other documents that were available. And the man became a believer in Jesus Christ because of what he studied and what he discovered, what he found out, because he, he wanted to find the truth. Frank Morrison wrote a book called The Powerful... Excuse me. Oh, there we go. He wrote a book entitled, Who Moved the Stone?" And it was his treatise on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why it did happen and how he knew it was true. We have another instance come come just about 20 years ago, come forward to the late 1900s. Have you finished the book yet, Dick? Have you finished the book yet? All right. Another fellow, The Case for Christ. His name is Lee Strobel. 
He used to be the legal editor for the Chicago, Chicago Tribune. He, he, he earned his master's at Yale Law School. And again, you got to have the facts, right? You got to have the proof. He was an avowed atheist. And he set out to prove that Christ was a hoax. That Christ wasn't who he said he was. Well, you know the story, obviously. He came to know Christ. And he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And in, in, in journalistic format, he writes out how, how he would do research, but he, he writes it out that there is proof that Christ is alive. That Christ did raise from the dead. And, and so with Luke... Down through the years, there have obviously been others who, who want to see the truth. And they want the proof. Remember the, the, the term in verse 3 there, convincing truth, talks about the, the word was infallible. And, and that word last week meant that it could not possibly be wrong. Let me... Incapable. There we go. It was incapable of being wrong. It was the truth and Luke sought after it, and that was is, is what he's telling Theophilus that he plans to present that there is compelling truth for what I'm telling you and for, for what's coming. Luke says that he's preaching the crucify the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection, and then the ascension. And that Christ is seated on his on, on the right hand of the Father. Last week we looked, I'm not going to turn there, but I'll give you the references again. Colossians 3 1, Ephesians 1 20, and Luke 22 69. It talks about Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. The work, his work, and the plan of salvation for us was completed. That part of his work was finished. We have hope. Because of what he did for us. Verse 5. Christ says, For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Turn back with me to Matthew 3. Matthew 3.11. I'll read through verse 17. This is John the Baptist talking about the Holy Spirit's coming. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, Christ, is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That talks about future judgment for for Israel. Verse 13, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, crying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John permitted him. 
And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We've talked about that dove before and the significance. Just real, real briefly, John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness. He wasn't preaching in the big city. Usually your wealthier people live in the city and the poorer people live out in the wilderness. For a Jew to offer sacrifice, if you were poor, you probably couldn't bring a sheep or a goat to the sacrifice. So the law permitted that you would be to bring a dove as a sacrifice. Do you get the connection there? Do you see the significance of that? The dove ascending from heaven over Jesus, telling the people, the poor people of the wilderness that understood that the dove was their offering, understanding that Jesus was going to be the perfect offering for them. Kind of, kind of it resonated with the people from the wilderness a little bit more than it probably did somebody from the city that may not have understood that. The Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. They knew that this was the one they were waiting for. This was the one that would be the perfect sacrifice for them. Back to Acts. We'll get into t- today's. Just a, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to forget. John chapter 14. The, the John the Baptist... Um, foretold or told about the, the baptism of the Spirit, John 14, 15 through 18. need to pay more attention to my notes. I said that didn't look right. One chapter off. John 14. We'll get it straight here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So not only did John the Baptist talk about the the coming of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus in his ministry told the people that there would be another one to come. He was going to send a comforter. And that was the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5 here of Acts 1 again, John baptized with water, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The significance is we need to understand that we don't do things in our own power. We can't get it done on our own. We need the power of the Spirit. We need to, as we're looking ahead to our building project, we can't do it in and of ourselves. And yes, I'm going to go back to my old favorite, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month Elel in 52 days. And it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And that's that's my prayer 
as we're thinking of our, our offering today and, and uh, the building project that lies ahead, Lord willing, um, pray, pray for our contractors. Pray that they'll come when they say they're going to, okay? Even this week, I've had difficulties getting some of them to call me back. But we're looking at the 1st of October to, to break ground out here and just to, to put our addition back on. Pray for that. Just like Lee Strobel says before he preaches, pray, pray, pray. But pray, pray for our contractors. But the people around us need to see that it's our God who is doing that work for us, not us. Everything that we have is His. Everything that we have is His. Okay, you give 10%, that's okay. The other 90% is His too. He cares about how you spend it. Okay? Everything we have is His. He can take it all away just like that. So, let's let the world see what our God is doing for us here in Newberry. We'll do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in and of ourselves, not in our own power. Okay, that was the introduction, or review from last week. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The, as we see in verse 6, the, the disciples are concerned about the restoration of the kingdom, as, as, were, as was every Jew. They, they wanted the Roman oppression to be thrown off. They, they were looking for a political hero. They should have been looking for a Messiah, a spiritual hero, the savior of their souls. But they were more concerned about the Roman authorities, and they wanted them to be thrown off. And, and they knew that, well, at least they were believing that, that Christ was the one that could restore that. And, and, and they're concerned about it. And they say, is, is, is it time? Is, 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 that, is that what's going to happen next? They, they'd seen the crucifixion, the resurrection. They knew that God was powerful, that he was working through Christ. Is, is this it? Is this it? And so often today, everybody's saying, we're in the end times. Is this it? When's the Lord coming back? And well, you know, some will say you got to have this, this, and this happen, and, and, and we think it's going to happen on this date. Foolish people. Foolish. Don't even go there. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy. He's not going to tell us. He's just going to show up. So we need to be ready. 
We need to be ready in season, out of season, at all times. We need to be looking for his return. It's verse 7, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's fixed so you can count on it. You can take it to the bank. You, we know it's going to happen. But it's not for us to know when. So, what do we do in the meantime? Sit and stew? Sit and try to figure it out? You know, take 666 and divide it by 7 and multiply. No, don't. that's nonsense. Don't waste your time. Just know that God's got it. And when the time is right, he knows. And he's going to come back and take care of business. All right? It's not for us to know. Now, we know we talked last week. We know that the, the Holy Spirit is a big theme in, in, in Acts. It's mentioned over 50 times. And, and we talked about the baptism of the Spirit. Spirit. We're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit. We're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. But our word this week is witness. And everybody likes to concentrate on verse 8 about the Holy Spirit coming in power. That's great, but what are we supposed to do with that power? What do we do with all that power? We witness. Here's an interesting thing. The word witness, or excuse me, I got to back into it the other way. The word martyr translated into English, comes from the Greek word that is translated witness in the New Testament. So, what does that mean? Are you willing to put your life on the line for your faith in Jesus Christ? Folks, we can't pray enough for believers in Myanmar, for believers in China, for this group traveling to Pakistan next Sunday. But you know what their prayer is for us, for the church in America? They actively pray that we will be persecuted. What? That doesn't sound very nice. It's the best thing that could happen to us. Because persecution will weed out the wannabes. You'll find out Who has the true faith in their hearts? I'll use my illustration again. It's one of my favorites. You guys should know it by heart. If ten soldiers walked through that door right now with machine guns and said, everybody that's not a Christian, get out of here because we're going to kill all the ones that are Christians. How many of you are staying and how many of you are going? What does Christ mean to you? Are you willing to die for Him? He died for you. Are you willing to die for him? A witness. What is a witness? A witness is one who tells what they've seen or heard. When you get into a court of law and you're on the witness stand, does the judge care about your opinion? Does the prosecutor care about your opinion? Not one bit. They want to know the truth. They want just the facts. Do they care about your ideas? No. The judge wants to hear the truth. He wants to know the facts. And that's what a witness is there to do. 
is to give the facts. Do we do that with our neighbors? Maybe Jesus doesn't mean that much to you. So there's not much to tell. We talked last week about, yes, we need to live in a way that is kind and loving to our neighbors. Hey, Joe, the neighbor guy, he's a good guy. He mowed my lawn when I was sick. But does he know that the reason that Joe did that is because God loves him and Joe wants to share God's love with his neighbor and that's why he mowed his lawn? What has Joe told him? Has Joe told him anything? We need to, we need to speak. Just like you would testify in court. You can't just sit there and by your calm demeanor convince the judge of anything. You got to speak. You got to tell what you heard. You got to tell what you saw. You got to tell what Jesus has done in your heart. Or it doesn't count for anything. Many, many have given their lives for the faith. Look at Ephesians 4.11, if you would. Ephesians 4.11, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Some as evangelists. Not every one of us had the gift of evangelism. Ha, off the hook there. No, you're not. Just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to be a witness. It's our job to tell others. It's our job to share Jesus Christ. Yes, by being a good neighbor. But if you truly love your neighbor, you're going to tell them why. You're going to tell them why you love them. We love because he first loved us. Without that, we don't know how to love. And even having his example, we mess it up so often. Because we tend to want to love ourselves more than him and others. Some are given the gift of evangelism. Some are just naturals at it. But all of us are called to be witnesses. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. In and of ourselves, can we do it? Nope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. We are to be witnesses both in Jerusalem, both in Newberry, and in all Judea, Luce County, the UP, Samaria, the state of Michigan, and even the remotest part, remotest part of the earth. I thought we got that one with Newberry. <laughs> Rock Shazak, there you go. Rock Shazak, be strong and courageous. Have no fear. Deuteronomy 3. Let God fight your fights. Deuteronomy 3.23. God will fight for you. And we can do it in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Not in and of ourselves. 
of ourselves will fall flat on our face. Verse 9, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking, and a cloud received him out of their sight. They were gazing intently in the sky. He was departing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Why do you stand looking into the sky? I'm going to use the old Nike commercial here. Just do it. What are you standing here looking up for? You're not getting it done. He said, go back to the city and wait for the Holy Spirit. Not sure what they expected to see. It was probably a pretty amazing thing to see Christ go that way. No doubt. I'd, have, I'd probably still be standing there gawking. Wow, that was cool. <laughs> but we have directions. We have instruction. We, we have his business to be about. We can't stand just staring into the sky. Go and do. That video that we watch about the church sometimes, the church is about deploying It's about going. It's out that door. Go and do. Doesn't do us any good to just sit here. Doesn't do us any good just to stare into the sky. Because we got the Energizer Bunny on steroids, okay? We have the Holy Spirit who gives us any and all the power that we all ever need to accomplish His work in our lives. So why are we just sitting here? We need to do it, but we also need to tell it. See if I can get this right without messing it up. Your talk talk and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You get that? Repeat that with me now. Everybody, we'll say it together. Your talk talk and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So it's important how we act. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And you can talk ever, you can say it, but if you don't live it, it's just shallow. It's empty. It's hollow. So our walk is important, but so is our talk. We need to share Jesus Christ, and that is what Luke is trying to tell us in the book of Acts. Go, deploy, tell the gospel in your city, in your county, in your state, across the world. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. In two weeks from today, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about verse 11 there. This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. It's talking about the kingdom that the the guys were looking for in verse 6. We'll get more into that in a couple weeks. Let's pray. Father, challenge us. Push us. Prod us. Kick us in the rear end. Help us to make ourselves available. Help us to use the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given us, that you sent 
at Pentecost. That we should be baptized in the Spirit. We should be filled with the Spirit and led with the, by, the, by the Spirit. Father, help us to go and be your hands and feet in our community. More importantly, Father, help us to draw attention to you and not to ourselves. That the world might know that you are working on our behalf. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.